0: Cash rules on everything the around June. me, cream get the
1: here money, we, here we dollar go. dollar, dollar bill, you yo. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side, staying alive
0: was no job, had second hands, moms bounced on old men, so then we moved to shallow land. Oh, hey, Christy here, head systems trader at Macro Ops. I am on today with the ever knowing and cat loving. Uh, Alex Barrow. Amen. Hola, Chris. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Doing great. All right. So, we are fresh off of a Fed rate cut. We are fresh off of repo rates apocalypse for seven something. Uh, but the big thing I think I want to start talking about is all the way back to this weekend, we had an attack, supposed attack, on... Saudi Arabia oil fields, and one of the largest producers in the world, and certainly one of the bigger headlines in recent history. So I wanted to jump right in on that because that is kind of a, I guess that's somewhat of a wheelhouse for you and I. Um, you know, macro ops is kind of known to have that intelligence and military uh, knowledge and, and like, government i guess diplomatic from my side um first-hand knowledge and experience from our past and kind of bridging that over into the finance space into the macro space and your recent uh market brief covered this and i kind of want to get into it because i think this is going to draw a lot of this is going to like kind of answer a lot of questions that a lot of people have the reason that we're back to basically the same price we closed on friday for oil um and kind of why all that madness was just uh a little little hyperbole what are your thoughts there
1: yeah so um you and i were talking a bit about this before we hit record but um which so i i offered up my little tinfoil hat conspiracy theory in this week's brief um i think the attack uh, on on Saudi Arabia's um, Abqaiq plant was possibly staged. Um, yeah, we everybody knows that, that Saudi Arabia is trying to push the Aramco IPO, and that's coming up. Um, they want higher oil prices. The kingdom's desperately in need of cash, um, and and so the oil market hasn't really been been working in their favor. And something like this, like an attack on, on that plant, which is said to be one of the most valuable uh, pieces of real estate in the world because something around uh, roughly five percent of the world's oil flows through there uh, for refinement uh, before it gets shipped out to the rest of the world. Um, you know, So an attack on that plant would lift, kind of bring the geopolitical risk premium back into the oil market. Um, and that's the idea. And then it, then it kind of serves another purpose, which is, I mean, if anybody's been following the proxy war in Yemen between Saudi Arabia and Iran, uh, two countries which have been at each other's throats for a while now, um, that has kind of created uh, very strange bedfellows between uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel, which were longtime enemies until recently, in the last two years, basically. Um, both those countries kind of teamed up, um, and they're, they both want to keep Iran uh, um, basically keep them powerless in the region, so they love the, the the sanctions that have been you know put on them by the U.S. because that's really uh, killing their economy. They would love to see regime change, which which both have been pushing uh, the kind of the U- U.S. political machinery to do for a while now. Um, and so with that, like I, I think Trump's recent firing of, of Bolton, Mr. Mustache, um, you know, who was a, a an extreme Iran hawk um i think that kind of scared them a little bit and so it could have pushed them to do something like this now this is just a total you know theory it's not based in in any (laughs) in, in any fact whatsoever it's just you know i've spent a lot of time working covering that space uh and so something like this would not be out of the ordinary it's actually you know kind of the the mo for that region uh and so um that's just my idea you know i mean there's you know it's uh but the U.S. has come out and and said that Iran was behind the attacks. Um, Saudi Arabia, I think, came out today with you know claiming evidence that it was at least Iranian armed uh, Houthi rebels that that flew the drones into into the plant. Um, you know, but I mean, all that stuff is just you know, I mean, if if, if you believe what they say, then then maybe it's true and, and maybe it is true, um, but I think you can't totally dismiss my little tinfoil uh, hat theory
0: yeah no, i uh, <laughs> I would agree. and I, at least I would agree that there are options for what we have what we don't see. certainly, I mean, if you believe that what we're actually getting in information is what we're getting and it's the truth, and <laughs> it's uh, it's being delivered on time and it's unbiased and all that. obviously that um, you know. Uh, you know, hats off to you for uh, just being that optimistic, and um, you know, being right. the sort of person who uh, is is going to take your preferred newsfeed as gospel. Um, as a couple of people who have been on the non open source side of the intelligence game, where actually you don't there there's a lot of information that does not get released, and it is not wrapped up in pretty exciting uh, packages with beautiful and extremely intelligent reporters in great suits telling you about it. Uh, it's kind of a dry report usually. And maybe if you're lucky, some grainy footage, uh, on a, like probably watching a night cam, you know, you're, you're like night vision, uh, at best you're going to, that, that would be the best way that you'd actually see it. Um, and you know, you're, you're just going to have to take somebody's word for it otherwise. And, You know, one of the one of the things was it came out of uh, Iraq, which is and I and I will certainly say that Iran has been heavily, you know, for my all of my time while I was spent in Iraq, I spent seven years working in that area. And Iran was the biggest player in southern Iraq for the majority of that, which is where, you know, basically it would be coming from um so there there is that they they i think the us or somebody said that that potentially drones and cruise missiles were launched from iraq the question i have about that is like i know that there is still a lot of us presence there and that seems that it would have been you know maybe that information was corroborated corroborated there maybe that's why that information came out and then Saudi comes back with, no, it was the Iranian Houthis," and, and all that. Anyway, all a little, uh, a little interesting. I'm, as you yeah, know, I, I, I,
1: I, I think just, I mean, the timing is just, um, it's, uh, it's well, I'm in agreement well, with you on that. for Yeah. Sure. It's just a little too interesting. I mean, right. Because like, this has been, it's, it's probably one of the most guarded pieces of, of, real estate in the world. I mean, definitely up there. Um, you know, people have been trying to hit like these, especially this plant, forever. Um, but nobody's been, nobody's been successful. I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, drone technology makes it easier. Maybe they really did get cruise missiles, but I mean, so if you're, if you're Iran, why would you choose now to do that? You know, especially after Michael Bolton or Bolton's been fired, and there's potentially the easing of sanctions. You know, Trump's maybe looking to do a deal. Why would you go ahead and, and do that right then? Because they desperately want sanctions eased, right? Oh, yeah, it. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't
0: hyper-inflation make any sense. Inflation isn't fun. Unemployment yeah. sucks.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, anything's possible. But, um, I mean, if you just, I, I mean, I look at it, it and, and just uh, ask, I mean, just why why now? Like, why the? Why the timing? It just doesn't chalk up in my book.
0: That, that makes um, the most sense. Your, your tell, tell me
1: schedule. Yeah.
0: Yeah, your, your logic behind it just makes so much more sense. The timing is perfect. Happening on a weekend, like, obviously, somebody controls the, knows when the market's open, when they're closed. They, they know. Uh, interesting. An interesting thing, you know, in the Middle East, Friday is the day off. Like, Friday is, like, In the West, Sunday, you know, we're almost, you know, we're basically everything's closed on a Friday in the Mm -hmm. Middle East. Saturday is sometimes uh, like the first day of the week, but oftentimes it's not until Sunday that, you know, people start showing up to work again. So um, a lot of things happening when they happened (laughs) seems seems just super convenient there. Um, And yeah, I, you know. If Saudi Aramco is looking to IPO, uh, they're going to put the, the only way the, coming from my perspective as a trader, everything on in my setup in my world is saying crude is going to hang out between 50 and 60 for the remainder of the year and you know for for a while it's going to wear out a lot of that hyper volatility that we've been having, and the best way to do that is to just you know bang around sideways for a while when the market gapped up you know 15 20 percent uh and gave it all back within a couple of trading days that seems like it was an artificially influenced event rather than a real event that is priced into it because it, yeah it just it would just continue to go it would just continue to run if it wasn't right yeah yeah i agree yeah well anyway i think uh as as i've mentioned before i'm a i'm a bull i'm bullish on an iranian deal with the us uh Removing sanctions, I think that uh, the only one who doesn't want that is is Saudi Arabia, um, and Israel. Yeah, and Israel. Uh, like, like
1: I, I think, I mean, Trump obviously wants to do a deal, uh, but I just think the machinery is going to be working and over and like overtime over the next six months to try to prevent that from happening. And, and so, and so, like, like things like this attack, you know, and some other some other stuff that we've seen um, over there in the Persian Gulf. Like, I, I think we're just going to see more of those. I think we should expect that. Um, especially if it looks like he's like, if it, if it looks like he's moving to do a deal, I mean, you know, maybe this will put all that stuff on the back burner for a while, but, um, yeah, I mean, as soon as he starts coming out and it looks like he's trying to make a deal with the Iranians, I would, I would say ex- expect more of this stuff to start happening.
0: Yeah. And MBS response is, I mean, that's yeah. interesting too. He's not done anything right. Like, Mm-hmm. I, as far as I can tell, nothing has been done. Right.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, which which was, I think, another really telling thing. Like their right. their response was even more muted than the U.S.'s. And it's um, yeah. It's just, I mean, the, the whole thing's strange to me. Yeah. It's very strange.
0: Yeah. yeah. If ever there was a chance for MBS to to just yeah, oh, gloves off, let's do it. And yeah, it, it was right then. You know, every day he waited. It, you know, everything's just, it gets smoothed over. Other stuff happens. If, you know, he had the opportunity, he could have attacked and gone with it. And he probably would have had the support of quite a lot of people. And then, you know, well, we're in it now would have been more of mm-hmm. the response as opposed to like, let's wait and see, right? Um, and, or let's confirm, you know, let's keep doing the research, yeah. let investigate. No, no exactly. Went, and it's yeah. because like,
1: you know, too much escalation it uh, would not be good again for the for the IPO, right? So right. I think it all comes back to to money and, and the false Aramco flags. IPO. Yeah.
0: False flags, false flags. All right. So that being said, what else did we have? We had something today that everybody was screaming and yelling into Twitter about. Something happened last night that this this whole repo rate thing. And I know you're just dying to go deep on this and, and really... <laughs> Man, yeah, it's, you
1: know me so well, Chris.
0: I do. This is Yeah,
1: I, I stayed up all night um, just reading about this. this. is the most fun I've had in a while. Um, yeah, so the repo rates, you know, I mean, everybody's throwing a big um, conniption about this on, on the Twitters. Uh, you know, like, I, I just wrote up this piece that I'm hopefully gonna send out to everybody here uh, once we're done. Um, well, let's but, let's uh, clarify like,
0: what the repo rate is and and why it's relevant. Let's let's. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So the
1: the repo rate um, it, it's extremely esoteric, abstruse corner of our financial plumbing system. Um, and so and, and and like I just want to clarify. Like I'm no expert on this, and so everything that I know is just from. Talking uh, to people who who are and in reading uh, you know work from from people who are. so it's it's essentially, and just to give it like a really oversimplified um, uh, kind of example of, of what the repo market is. it's just a market where those who have cash can provide short term loans to those who need like quick liquidity in exchange for safe collaterals like such as treasuries. Um so an example of this would be, Um, broker dealers who are are rich in securities, they pull tons of, you know, mortgage-backed securities, treasuries, you know, whatever. Um, but they need, uh, you know, short-term cash loans, uh, to fund their day-to-day operations. Um, you know, that's just one example, right? And so the rate at which this money is lent in the repo market is, is tied to the fed funds rate. Um, and the feds fund market is just a market for overnight unsecured loans. on reserves between banks and other parties. So, the, and the Fed operates in that market um, by creating or destroying reserves and lending them out to to banks.
0: And and uh, basically, there there is a requirement, the minimum requirement that banks need to have. And, right. Uh, and, and that's where it causes a bit of a things like, okay, you you say you have a hundred billion dollars, you need to have, and I forget what the amount is. Maybe it's like a tenth of that in deposit or. In On your books, it has to be like physical cash, somewhere around there, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that, that's basically what this all comes down to. It's um, ever since uh, the Great Financial Crisis, new regulations um, like Basel III uh, came out, and they just a lot of so it changed a couple um, key things in how this market operated. One, it, it raised the reserve balances that, that were required at banks. Um, so basically, banks just had to have more reserves um, on, you know, on their on their books um, so they could lend against. Um, and then the uh, the the other big thing was, is just that it it kept um, the the banks from like being active, active, more actively, like trading in the reserves in this whole entire system, um, which is, I guess, a direct result of the first. And so uh, what this has kind of led to. Is that because of these new requirements and stuff like that? um, You have less reserves being freely lent in the system, and so um, every couple months, usually like end of quarter, um, when when cash needs arise at at businesses. So, like let's let's say you're a corporation or something like that, and you you pay out like a you know a dividend every quarter, right? So you you might have like a lot of um, securities on your on your balance sheet but you don't have a lot of cash so you're gonna go you're, you're gonna go into the repo market and you're gonna um you're gonna borrow you're gonna borrow cash against your securities um and so that you know it's, that's why it's kind of like a short-term cyclical thing where we see a rise in a need for for cash to pay out these dividends or like for example this last monday um you know quarterly federal tax payments were due um, and so you see these short-term pressure basically on, the, on this funding market and because of these new regulations, well, there's a few things. It's these regulations um, and, and just kind of an imbalance between cash and collateral that has uh, led to this, this kind of weird environment where we're in where the, every couple months the money market comes under pressure. Or the repo market comes under pressure and then like we saw this week the repo rate becomes um disconnected from the fed funds rate and so then everybody's freaking out uh, about it because this happened uh, the last time it happened was during the great financial crisis and so everybody says well because it happened then and this is happening now you know they're geniuses and they're connecting the dots and they're like okay obviously you know 2008 and the, another great financial crisis right around the corner um and and because it's so esoteric, um the vast majority of people who are talking about it don't understand it at all. Um and so it's really easy for them to basically run with this and turn it into turn it into a big ordeal, right? Um I, Mark Dow had a had a good uh, I put out something good on Twitter saying uh, um something like since uh, like the majority of people don't understand central bank plumbing. So instead, they fill in their information gaps with a combination of cynicism and ideology, um, and there's no shortage of people who are always shopping for doom narratives. And so I, I think he really hit the nail, the nail on the head there um, because there's uh, key differences between what's causing this now um, and then what caused it back in, you know, first, for the first time, like, back in uh, 07, towards the end of 07. Um, and I wrote about this piece, but I could just, like, run through it real quickly. I mean, it's really dry... <laughs> boring stuff but um so and, and and a lot of this stuff is, is taken from uh sultan pozar he's, he's he writes uh global money notes for credit Suisse, and he's the guy's like you know um, i mean all things financial plumbing he's, he's probably the most knowledgeable person on, on that whole area of of the financial system uh, in the world or one of them um but anyways uh when you're looking at demand for reserves. Um, it generally comes from three things. There's you have transactions demand, speculative demand, and precautionary demand. Um, transactions demand, just like a real quick like overview is is just basically based on how much money is being spent in the system. Um, so it's not essentially it's not really GDP, but it's it's more related to like money velocity velocity, which is kind of a slippery concept. but um, everybody basically knows what you know how much what's like how much money is flowing through the system and at what speed? So that's one of the that's one of the three main demands for reserve. The next one is speculative demand, um, and that just means the money held in portfolios as an investment. So when you see a lot of um, investment managers, raising or banks, whatever, raising their cash allocations, like like we've seen over the last you know year year and a half, uh, and they're blowing their exposure to bonds and stocks. Um, you're seeing a rise in speculative demand, right? Because you know they're they're selling their treasuries and instead, they're you know converting those treasuries or stocks or whatever over into cash and they need cash. So that's speculative 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 demand. The third one is precautionary demand. Um, and that's the dangerous one. Um that's where um, precautionary demand is where balances are held to meet sudden payment needs. Uh, this is what people are referring to when they talk about like a liquidity crisis, like a classic liquidity crisis, like the one we saw in 08, um, it's, it's non-linear. So that means it surges during panics. Um, and, and it's basically a result of like when fear, real panic and fear spreads in the system. And then that's when banks who normally like will lend out the reserves to each other, um, well, just the whole system freezes up and banks won't lend reserves and everybody needs more reserves because, you know, they people are demanding more cash. Right. Um, and so that's the that's the key difference in all this is that, in seven, we saw a sudden spike in precautionary demand. There was fear in the system, a freeze set in um, and people weren't lending out reserves and everybody needed more. And so now this time around, there's none of that. What we're seeing is um it's more it's, it's more due to a rise in speculative demand, uh, as well as I mean, you add in the, the regulatory changes that we talked about. Um, and then you combine those with some su- supply side issues such as the rising fiscal deficit, which is leading to greater issuance of treasuries. And then you combine that with things like an inverted yield curve and higher U.S. dollar funding costs, um, which is kind of hurting foreign demand for treasuries. And that's leading to, and this is like really esoteric stuff, but that's leading to bloated inventories on primary dealer balance sheets. And so, so like primary dealers for us treasuries, like these guys are mandated, like they have to buy treasuries, right. Um, for, uh, on the issue. And then if they can't sell these to foreigners or, you know, whatever, um, then they just ended up with bloated books. Um, and so, like the whole deal is like when primary dealers fund those inventories in the repo market. Um, but if the, if the providers of repo funding then find themselves constrained and unable to lend, then we get these giant spikes in repo, um, in the repo rate. Uh, and so it's kind of all that stuff together. Right. Um, and that's not, so that's not like a huge deal. Um, because, like, all the Fed has to do is just start creating more reserves. You know, the Fed, the, the Fed can create reserves on demand. Um, I mean, that's that's what they did with with QE. Is that they just expanded their balance sheet, right? And they just, you know, swapped, um, you know, reserves, cash for treasuries. Uh, so, I mean, that's just what they can, they can do again. It's not necessarily it shouldn't even be thought of as like QE four. Right? You're seeing a lot of people say that. Um, but it's literally just reserve management in order to, to grease the payment settlement system. And so it just operates properly. Right. Um, and so that's, and if you watch Powell's presser today, I mean, that's what they said. They're like, like, yeah, you know, we were, we're paying attention to the repo market. It's not a big deal. Relax. We're going to fix it. Um, uh, we're probably gonna you know, expand our balance sheet a little bit and just use our balance sheet to manage the, the repo market which which is uh, what they used to do anyway so it's just like a return to normal it's not a big deal um and so i mean that's that's literally all it is it's not there's not like you know it's just, i think everybody can can disregard all the doom and gloom you're seeing a lot of crazy theories floating around how this is you know the great u.s dollar shortage and it's going to drive the u.s dollar to the moon i mean the dollar might go to the moon but it's not going to be this that's driving <laughs> it. it's going to be it's going to be um flows you know, people buying the dollar to buy U.S. stocks and and Treasuries and other yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just one of these, man. It's one of these annoying macro things where I think there's a number of like decently smart people who latch onto these things and they and then they use them because they're so esoteric. Uh, they talk about them and and they talk about them because it's like a it's like it's like mental masturbation. It makes them feel smart and sound smart and then everybody else reads this stuff and then it gets picked up and, and you know, it's like, and if you're talking about something really uh, complex like this, um, that little few people know about and, and then you connect it to some like doom and gloom narrative, well, I mean, then you, I mean, that's people pay attention, right? And so I think that's kind of why it's spreading um, as, as far as like narratives go. But like my big takeaway from this is that, um, you know, this is, it just really just means that the doom and gloom machine is still alive and well. Like there's still tons of fear in this market, Yeah. Um, and we're uh, the knee-jerk like reaction function to go to like super uber bear, and, and this is the great financial crisis. So it just means that like you know that event echo from 10 years ago is still alive and well, and because of that, uh, we're probably going to go much higher. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of my my, uh, I guess summary of the whole thing, but, and again, like, I probably said some stuff, um, that, you know, like I I oversimplified the system and I probably said some things that aren't totally correct. Um, that's fine. Like, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but like, you know, I I do talk to and read people that I uh, know that I do know, know a lot more about this stuff, uh, than the talking heads on Twitter. Uh, who, are, who are wailing on about it, and a lot of the you know financial journals are writing headlines about it. Um, and so i I just choose to listen to them. Um, and it, it you know it it makes it makes sense if you dig into it. So
0: so you're um, you have been calling and and ever since we started this podcast and ever since uh, for for about a year now, uh, well, about three quarters of the year you've been calling for the market to make new highs. We got new highs uh, a month or two ago, a couple months ago, whatever it was. And then we're back up near Mm -hmm. new highs again, fairly, at least on equity indexes, I should say on the, um, on the broader, uh, the the spoos. let's just call it the S and P. Because we're certainly not there on the Russell yet, but uh, you pointed out that the, First of all, the wall of worry, the the amount of capital that is sitting available, scared and expecting weakness in the market, expecting sell offs is large. There is a a lot of fund managers who are not positioned and that are just starting to roll into position, um, according to B of A, ML Global Fund Manager Survey. They're just mm-hmm. starting to pump it into uh, Japanese and U.S. equities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the market is in, like totally offsides. Um, uh, but, you know, like, according to that latest uh, fund manager survey, global fund managers are holding their their lowest exposure to stocks and their highest cash holdings um, since, I think, oh, nine. Right. Um, and if you look at other surveys or data points like the IMX TDMA trades, IMX um, uh, basically sentiment positioning index that, that measures their their clients' act, actual like positioning of, amongst retail clients, um, it's you know where it was in February March of 2016, right? And this is with you know markets are within spitting distance of new all time highs, um, and so like I, I just think from like. Uh, sentiment perspective like this is fantastic, you know, and, and now people are freaking out about the repo rates uh, when the oil spiked, everybody's like, Oh, this oil, you know, oil spike is, this happened, you know, in 79, it's going to kill, <laughs> it's going to kill the bull market. I mean, there's always like some of this, like every single day. It's, it's actually amazing. Yeah. Um, it's like the narrative, like cycle is just like sped up so fast. Um, I, I don't know if it's maybe just because like social media is, is so prevalent now, but, um, I mean, we're finding, people are finding things to freak out about um, something new, like every couple of days and which is, which is, I, I just think great because um, the, I mean, even though there's some, you know, all the, the macro data isn't great. Um, it's not, it's not horrible. And then the things that, that typically drive a cycle lower, like, you know, inventory cycle and stuff like that um, have been really muted just because there's this. Pervasive fear among people like so you haven't seen this like the the standard leveraging and stuff like that That you see in the real economy and, and as well as like positioning markets that you normally do this late You know ten years into a bull market um, Because you we've never like any time we've had pockets of euphoria Which we which, which we have had like at the beginning of you know um, 18 2018 you know we, we saw that spike, but they quickly get killed right and so you know it's like and you you look at like the IPO market for existence for uh, uh, and it's like you know we have WeWork and and Uber and you know and they're all um, you know I mean just, everybody's just so bearish and the narrative is just so negative um, that it's it's hard to build up the type of excess uh, that's that's almost required to like create an extended bear market and a recession. I mean, it doesn't mean that we we can't get one, but it just just means that it's less likely. And so that's why, I mean, you just look at everything and just like and positioning, you know, I, I wrote about, um, I mean, we, we just saw like a major, a major breath thrust in the market uh, this week. I mean, over the last two weeks, I've had a number of my indicators like trigger major like long-term buy signals. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, what's what's going to, I don't know what's going to bring this market down, but. Um, it's definitely not euphoric sentiment and positioning. We're not seeing that yet. So,
0: and a pile of cash. That, yeah. I mean, it, just looking back to 2009, if if we're you know cash levels are just as big as 2009. 2009 was the very bottom of of complete and utter chaos and hell and and trouble. We're at the top and we actually have that much cash. Like, that's such a you know we we go into earnings season here and and if everybody is expecting i mean just everywhere people have cash left and right we have this bearish sentiment and we're going into q4 earnings report or well uh, q3 earnings report coming up like (laughs) that's the catalyst i mean that that we've got another couple of weeks and you know we're going to start reporting here the last uh, kind of the first week or the last week of september we got a couple of earnings come in and then it's fire. It's October is just earnings coming in. Everybody's already I mean, everything has already been pre the ground has been prepped. Everybody's expecting yeah. everybody's expecting to have everything is bearish every there's a bearish tone. There's just a whole lot of of. Yeah, of, of, of just depression, I guess. Everybody's yeah. thinking and we're not going lower. Like, right.
1: No, and, and, it's like, and you just look at like consistent estimates for earnings going into Q3. I mean, we're doing the same thing that we did uh, the last two quarters where expectations have been driven down so low that we've created you know just an easy bar to clear. Um, I mean, I'm looking at them right now. It's like uh, Q3 consensus analyst expectations are for earnings growth of negative 2.2% um, and meager revenue growth of 3.7%. So um, I, it's like it's, it's, it's the, the, there's just no way that that on a whole that management um, at these companies aren't going to find a way to, to even if even if things are bad that they're not going to find a way to juice juice their books to be able to you know jump over those hurdles. Yeah. So um, I think everything's primed and set for for a big run higher. Uh, I, I don't like how much. Global fund managers are move, have been moving into the U.S. Uh, over the last few months. Um, but as long as the dollar keeps holding up, which, you know, it's still just chopping in a sideways range. It doesn't, you know, has big daily moves, but it ends up going nowhere. Um, it's it's going to be hard for EM and, or, you know, and, or wherever Europe to basically take over leadership.
0: Yeah, last week I thought uh... – I mean, it looked like for me, that was that was a major bottom pattern on the euro last week. Mm. Um, and, you know, yeah, it may take a few weeks for it to play out, but it's like with with that strong of a bottom signal coming in from a technical side, you would expect to see follow through and it's not it's not there. so um, I, the dollar yeah, I was really I was really
1: surprised by that. Yeah, it's well, just been it's just been total. I mean, yeah, I mean, look at the dollar, man. It's it's <laughs> been like just big daily moves, but literally has gone nowhere over two weeks.
0: Yeah, so I up, mean, up, down,
1: up, down, up, down, up, down.
0: The only thing I can say about the dollar is if you if you go back, you know, if, if you take a really, you know, long look back at this thing, it, it isn't in a nice uptrend, you know, it bottomed in. Oh, yeah. Yeah it bought them in 18 and Mm -hmm. what is it's just one of those stealth bull markets that is, I mean, at the end of, if you look at the end of the month, you're probably up a, you know, maybe 10 cents, five cents, but it's up, you know, maybe the next month you're down, you close the month down two cents and then, but you have these big 50, you know, half percent, full percent days mixed in there and just euphoric pumps and all-time highs and everybody's dollar broke out and the next yeah. week or two it's just back down but if you step back and look at that trend it's just it's slow and steady and that's what you're saying it's the global uh it, you know people need to buy us equities and and i think we talked about this originally back in december or january where all the money is leaving is going to be leaving the world to come in and buy even though it's expensive to buy the dollar they're going to have to own dollars to own equities to own to get access to the U S market. And it's just, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things. It's just like, it, it just has to happen this way. <laughs> like, you know, we can't figure out a funding, a way to fund this and, you know, like have a weak dollar. Uh, right. Yeah, no, and it's, it's,
1: it's going to keep on. I mean, we'll, we'll probably see the dollar keep doing this, just chopping sideways, steadily moving slowly up until, until people convince, you know, be, become convinced that we're, you know, seeing a bottom, um, in the rest of the world. And it was so, so we got to see, we're starting to see like the first signs of things bottom out, um, like in emerging markets for as far as the data goes, but there's still too much, uh, bad data coming in. So we're, you got to see a couple months of, uh, steady, um, improving, improving numbers and, and then i think once we see that and you know then it's just like a matter of positioning because you look at positioning emerging markets that's come that has come down a lot it was people were crowded long at the beginning of this year so that's been we've been seeing that completely wash out um nobody's you know invested in europe so um that's really one side of trade and so it's not going to take much to cause a reversal in in these flows um but we just have to have that you know you, you just have to have a bottom and 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 the the data and still there's still too much of it that's deteriorating at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well. So. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, from from a technical side, if we we're to get a measured move on on the S and P, that gets us up near up in that 3,300 range. Um, and on the Dow, up near uh, 30,000. <laughs> yeah. um, which which I think back to my days in 1999 and 2000 watching CNBC. And I, there was the there was this book. It was like Dow 33,000 or something like that. It was a lot like um, you know the the crypto predictions of Bitcoin going to you know a hundred thousand. Like they're just throwing these numbers out there. But lo and behold, hey, 33,000 is. Uh, I mean, the measured move is 30,000, but or 29, right around 29 six or seven hundred. But I mean that's uh that's a stone throw to. Uh, right
1: yeah we're we're not we're not far i think it was like uh was it like kevin hassett or something wrote that It was a book like dow 33 or dow 36,000 or something like that yeah uh but we're getting we're getting close the um you know like for me you got to see small caps break out of there they're still in that sideways channel but it it kind of looks like we're gonna. I think we might see that in the next couple of weeks. Um, Russell, has, expect- been,
0: Russell uh, has finally gotten some positive, like response to positive uh, action, and and you know for the entire year nothing. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I mean it's still where there's you know, a it's long trading ways at to go. the same level now where it was back in May of eighteen. Yeah. So there's de- there's definitely a long way to go, but it looks like. I think we're going to see a breakout soon. Um, we're we're up. We're testing the uh, the top of that range right now. We might see a little bit more of a pullback uh, before we see it thrust higher. That's kind of my, it's kind of what I'm expecting. But
0: I'm, and you know it, it, we've been trading the sideways range, which, is, which much like the euro, you know, you you buy the dip, you sell the rip, on the Russell, and it has worked. And it finally in the last uh, August, specifically August and September it got to such a bearish stance that, you know, has since ripped back up. It, every time it attempted, it, it got halfway to the top of the range and, and fell apart multiple times. And it could not, it could not break. And, you know, Russell now back up to the top of range, still a long ways to go to the highs. But that's what you want to see. You want to see something like people, people get complacent. And a lot of shorts get put into place and in order to get a breakout, you got to have a lot of buyers and the most aggressive buyers are shorts that are hurting and Mm -hmm. margin called and, and pulled out of it. And when you have, you know, right around this area, which right now, I have a beautiful short setup on the Russell and I even have a small, very small uh, short position on it, which almost hit my profit target. But The thing I know is that traders are going to be in the same trade. It's the same thing. It's we're all going to have our stop in the exact same place. And if I get stopped out on this and I'm happy to be stopped out on it because it proves the what you're talking about. Once that happens, if if I get stopped out on Russell and it goes long, it's going to break. That's the breakout that's breaking out of this whole year, uh, almost two year range. And like that's going to bring a lot of fuel into the market. Everybody's been yeah. watching. This has been the bear's case that you know Russell just can't seem to do anything. So you know until Russell does something, we can't get long. And <laughs> well, right, it's right there. It's coiled. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I I, I think that's that's going to be the uh, the thing that lights the fire for the next leg up because you know once once the Russell starts running, then you know what's the bear case? Then they're going to be uh, forced <laughs> to totally reposition. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching that. I'm I'm hoping we see that in the next few weeks.
0: Well, and and last week there did seem to be a big reposition of everything for at least a day or two. Uh, (laughs) Momentum died and uh, value was back, and and uh, you know there was a lot of a lot of basically when bonds fell apart um, the last couple of weeks, that big sell-off we had. Um, rather quickly, everything really just got re, uh, uh, are you doing some shaving there? Oh, you you can hear that? Yeah. I was raising my desk. Oh, (laughs) got got tired of sitting. Yeah. I hear you. (laughs) I could have said something else, but I went with a razor. (laughs) That was good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, we got, uh, you know, there's a lot that's, that happened this past week. Two weeks ago, like this got you know we we've been talking about it since early spring, late winter. We we're talking about big macro moves are happening, and it was just a slow, steady ramp up. If we would have had this much news and volatility this week, six months ago, you know, in in like March, right. like the world would have the world would be like this. This would have been the biggest week in the markets. Um, that we've had, and and we're talking, you know, the Saudi launch. We've talked the bond just got crushed uh, after rallying, like just mm-hmm. huge repositioning of positions and portfolios right there. That was obvious. Was some major repositioning was happening last week. Yeah,
1: I, I I think I think in the next like month or so, we're going to hear about some major fund blowups, just because of the the, the size of some of these moves, yeah. um, and and how crowded positioning was in a lot of these assets that saw these big moves so i I think that's that's definitely part of it um i think we're going to be hearing about a lot of people who got uh who got totally had to totally liquidate everything so yeah it's yeah it's definitely interesting but yeah it's been it's just been a crazy it's been a crazy kind of environment i mean it's just like nonstop. um (laughs) like especially with just like the new cycle yeah right so, uh, I, I mean, I, I think you're almost better off just tuning most of that stuff out and just playing, playing the price and seeing where people are positioned, man. Because I don't know how you keep up with the whole thing.
0: That's as what far I as the, the, the flow of it, yeah. That's how yeah. I do it. I, I, I just try to try to find a, a little piece of real estate that I can become an expert on, and, and only that, and try to try to limit my thoughts and. And taking positions on stuff that I just don't have enough expertise, and just have my little area of knowledge that I'm really good at, and let people like you have uh, knowledge on something you're really good at, and then people like Tyler have knowledge stuff that he's really good at, and Bean, and Darren, and Byron or Biran, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so we got a few questions, and if you're up for some of these. I imagine you are now that you're so oh,
1: yeah, Wait, 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 let's do, um, we haven't done FOMC yet, have we? Did, did we do FOMC? Wait, Sorry. All did day. Jerry, did Jerry do
0: something today? Was that, was that yeah I, I think, uh, yeah, I
1: think, yeah, uh, I think, Mr. J did, he held a little talk or something. That's um, right. yeah, we could just, I, I just run through it real quick and just give like my quick overview for those of you who didn't watch the presser. Um, but anyways, it's what, what we were expecting. They did kind of a slightly hawkish cut, so they cut rates by 25, 25 basis points. Um, I, there was, an, I think, three to center, so, uh, kind of high on the, the dissents amongst the F, FOMC. Um, but anyways, like the the gist of it was uh, was that, you know, they see the U.S. economy as doing relatively well, uh, the rest of the world not so much, um, and so there are a lot of risk globally, but, you know, labor markets are tight, um, so that's really good. Uh, wages are improving, um, and the the big thing was is that they're going to be extremely data dependent. So they're they're leaving the the window open. They don't want to um, basically commit to any like further cuts, um, but they're not saying they're going to start you know raising rates either. So it's just giving them flexibility going into the end of the year. Um, they're going to be watching the data, and if they see Data, the data start to deteriorate significantly here in the U.S. Then they're going to go um, jump into cuts because they 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 think it's pointless to basically wait um, wait till things get really bad before you do a lot of cuts. Uh, so I mean, all that's good. That's good stuff. Um, what else? Let's see in my notes. Uh, oh yeah, they, they said they don't ever expect to use negative rates. Um, so I, I'm sure that's going to hurt. A Lot of people's narratives because you've had a lot of perma bears saying that negative rates are coming here. Um, they you know they've obviously seen what's gone on in, in Japan and Europe, and, and they realize that negative rates um, might actually do more harm than good, which is about right. Uh, they stress the need for more fiscal spending to take over basically, kind of what Draghi and the ECB were saying. Um uh, yeah, I, I already talked about the repo markets. They said they're going to fix them. Not a big deal. And that is kind of the big summary. Nothing real surprising. The presser was actually one of his one of his better pressers. Um, he didn't, you know, make any big verbal slip ups. Uh, the market where the market finished on the day basically unchanged. Yeah. Uh, so
0: it was the thing about it was it it did come back from it did come back from a decent down day. Yeah. Uh, You know, it did spend a good portion of the day down, which is in price action. That short, we, we, so so it's Wednesday, Tuesday. So uh, Friday put in a a nice sell signal on the S and P course, as you're going into a long weekend. And then of course, you know, Saudi Arabia, Middle East stuff. And bulls have defended. Yeah. Bulls have defended. In in just spectacular fashion, like it is such a obvious sell setup up there, and bulls have fought back, boom, 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 into a day like today where Powell comes in and does the rate cut, and Trump tweets at him as expected, and the market just kind of like, no, nah, no, nah, that was, we we thought it was going to be a little bit worse than it was, it's actually better than it was. And, you know, one thing I always think about when I'm looking at these markets is the individual investor trader, me, You know, I represent like me and people like me represent four or five percent of the total markets volume. What happened is institutions got rid of like this is clearly in from what I'm seeing, this is clearly the institution saying, got it. We know what to do now. We understand what's going to happen. It feels like a lot of indecision was taken out of the market today by that. Very calm. Very, you know, very. As far as the Fed goes, I think everybody, the the question answered. We talked about this a little bit on like the presidential, you know, market or how the, you know, once the president's figured out, markets tend to like step up and take off. It became clear this is, you know, that the Fed, we know what the Fed's going to be doing now. It was they said what they're going to do, and they did it. They said what they're going to do, they did it. They said what they're going to do, and they did it. This is clear. I think that the positioning is this is it. All right, let's start. Uh, you know, they're not they're not just going to hit the buy signal and you know put a trillion to work, but you know they're <laughs> they're definitely positioning to get long, and I think a lot of that cash that you've been talking about, I think that's going to that's going to start coming in here. Yeah, I
1: I think so too. And, and looking at I mean precious metals, gold. Uh, silver um, bonds, like the 10-year man, they're. I think they're. They look like they're setting up for a good reload of the shorts, um, <laughs> ex- especially if, if stocks uh, run from here. So that's that's something I'm looking at. I don't yeah, know what your metals, thoughts are on
0: that. Uh, well, yeah, metal, I mean, we've been we've been rallying in metals. We've got a massive massive move in in precious metals, and it got dumped hard. You, you know, you, you buy metals, you you get that there's indecision. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's it's defensive. It's it's the whole, you know, rotation, portfolio rotation into that because it got clear. It's clear today. Jerry came in and he just you know, look this is it. And, you know, the the president had kind of been tweet bullying him for a while and he had, still hasn't changed. So yeah. I think all indecision is pretty much gone on that. So probably, you know, probably metals take a hit. I think bonds, even though I'm long at the moment for a short term for another point, maybe. Uh, I think you're right. I think bonds have uh, are going to start start a bit of a descent here. And yeah, I think I think it's uh, I think we're we've got some really good conditions. Mhm.
1: I concur. Yeah, so
0: I I think that's it. I think that's it for the
1: FOMC. Um yeah, I don't got anything else to add. It was a pretty run the mill meeting. Nothing too surprising.
0: Yeah, not uh not anything <laughs> and you know, when the president tweets right in the middle or yeah, right right at the beginning of his presser. Uh and he just kinda takes it and blows right through it, you know he's not being ran by by uh uh, president's Twitter account, so that uh, <laughs> he might not be, other people might be, but yeah, so okay, you're right, we needed to cover that, I totally forgot, and, and I think it, uh, it sunk in for me that uh, everything's rosy um, so let's look at let, let me kind of go through these things alright, you had some good questions here uh, the first one, probably the most important one that I could think of is what's the next weirdo sports event you plan to participate in?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I've been, I'm recovering from a bum knee, which I probably got from just doing too much barefoot running on pavement. Um, so nothing on the immediate horizon. Um, I am, I have been trying to get a put together team to do like a big adventure race. Like there's the, uh, Something that's been on my bucket list for a while that I'd love to do next year is the uh, pantagonian exp- expedition race I don't know if you're familiar with that but it's where basically you and three other guys teams of four um, you race between six to nine days and you go over you know mounds forests down rivers and stuff and it's as much of a of, of a test of survival um, as it is a race but it's it's pretty grueling apparently so that's that's the big one I've got I've got one other taker, and so I'm looking for two other people to form a team
0: um, with land nav skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, pre- preferably with land nav skills. Free requisite, that's, always there. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but yeah, that's not GPS but, land yeah, land nav.
1: No, nope. No nope,
0: like, to looking nope, at your stars. Yep, yeah, shooting
1: an azimuth with a compass. Yes. The basics. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the big one. I, I've kind of put off doing ultras um because my my big thing that i was training for was to do 100 miles but um you know i just like i i was i really wanted to do it and then i found out that they have 200 milers now and 220 milers and i'm like what's the point like what's the point of doing a hundred miler if they have 200 milers like i don't ever want to do a 200 miler. that's just stupid you know like that's that's ridiculous 200 miles is crazy 100 miles is crazy but it's doable but i'm like i don't want to do it if if, if I'm only doing, you know, less than half of what some other people are doing, right? <laughs> like, you know, and it's just like, uh, no, I will, I will never go run 200 miles. You know, I've done, I've done 50 mile plus races and that's, that's painful enough. hundred mile, I could have, I could have topped it out once or twice, but 200 miles, there's no way. So I've, um, and my, and my knees just aren't, aren't holding up like they used to. Uh, the, I think the, time uh humping in the marine corps is finally catching up so uh, probably probably done with that stuff for a while so yeah now i'm just looking more at at uh, adventure races and, and might get back into kind of some shorter term like sprint triathlons again
0: yeah that's uh so on these on this adventure race so you're on is it just like pack it in pack it out and and go from point A to point B or do you have support teams that have like kayaks at locations and horses and bicycles or is it just
1: yeah it's 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 totally different so it really just depends uh from race to race this the pentagonia expedition race is uh you you pack it in so you're you're carrying a lot of gear uh the entire time um some of them they'll have like staged areas and stuff like that but like most of them like the real like the real adventure races you pack uh, almost all your stuff in
0: yeah those are the those are the fun ones but yeah they're uh that is an impressive feat i i mean it's not that's pretty normal it's just you're carrying a lot yeah like I, do, I don't even
1: yeah it's it's really it's just you know it's just like being in the sock you know yeah. but it's like but i mean like at least in this one you're in Patagonia, so it's gorgeous right amazing you know you have you have, you have, you have beautiful views
0: Great mind um, waiting and, for you
1: Yeah. So, you know, you're just, you're sleeping outside in the mud, you know, for, for a week or something like that not getting much sleep. But other than that, it's not that bad. Like, I think, I think those are, those are easier to do. Um, I mean, maybe harder technically, because you got to learn some of the skills if you're going to be doing a lot of, you know, um, lead rope climbing and stuff like that. But, um, you know, other than that, it's, it's, I think that's easier than doing a hundred mile endurance race
0: or something. Well, especially having somebody, I mean, yeah. Having three other people to lean on, you're going to go through that, uh, you suck. And then I suck phase yeah. 20, or, yeah. 20 or 30 times. Yeah. In, oh yeah. In the course of a couple Which, of days. Yeah. And that's, that, that makes a, that makes a big difference. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's a good time. Uh, you know, thinking back to the military days, uh, you know, I sit here and I think about those big events like that, like people sign up for it. I was like, You didn't really, I mean, you signed up for the military, of course, Marine Corps, but like, when they said, yeah, this is your packing list, meet on the parade deck at 04, we're going to roll out, you know, you're okay, you know, and you kind of know, like, yeah, yeah, we're going out for a week, Uh, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be up in the hills or out in the desert or, you know, wherever you're going to be, and you're just doing it, and, you know, you're wet and sweaty and chafing and prickly heat or, you know, whatever crazy thing. Happens for a week long, and then you come in, and they're like, "Yeah, you got four days off. Have fun." Um, (laughs) Whereas people pay for the privilege to go and do that sort of stuff. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, it it, it almost feels
1: wrong paying to sign up to go do these races (laughs) that you know we used to we used to get paid to do. Um, We used
0: to make nine dollars a day doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, hell yeah, professional level. That was a good nine dollars. (laughs)
1: Um, yeah that's
0: cool well jeff was the the owner of such question and he's also invited you or anybody to a cross-country ski event 42 kilometers in Ah. engaden 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 i don't know i think i believe he's in i believe he's prussia prussia i think he's he's in prussia land oh wow that'd be awesome yeah yeah, cross country skiing is the top dude. That's a workout, man.
1: That's a lot oh, of fun.
0: It's same. it's it's a lot of fun when it's flat when or yeah. downhill. It's that like yeah, I you know, go up these things now? That's that's where uh-huh. it gets a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um let's see. Okay, so Baltic Dry, I believe. That's BDI, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is gonna come into your know, what price, you know, are you tracking sentiment and, and price indices with the shipping industry itself? How are you keeping track of its health? What are your heuristics that you're tracking in that whole sector?
1: Oh, for the shipping industry? Uh, yeah, so, like, for me, I, I look at, uh, you look at the overall order book, um, you know, for the market, or, you know, what's the order book look out, look for, you know, going out a couple years or companies ordering, more more ships i mean it's, it's pretty basic right you just you want to see you know what's how much supply is going to be on the market so it's mean, it's just a supply demand equation so you look at the order book you look at you know uh total deadweight tonnage um you look at the scrap rate um all that stuff just to get a sense of you know how much supply of, of shipping and you know, depending on like what type of shipping company you're looking at um you know uh and and you know and then you just be able to look at the demand side which is you know, what is global uh, trade, you know, volume and total value doing? Uh, so it's really, it's those few things. And then just, you know, to get a read on sentiment is, I don't have any specific like actual quantitative sentiment indicators for the, for the shipping market. It's just, you know, looking at what price does and then looking, you know, see who's talking about it. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so bullish on on shippers right now, just from, from a behavioral standpoint is that, you know, you have a lot of these shipping companies that are up 50, 70 plus percent, um, oh, since the start of the year, but still nobody's talking about them. Uh, cause it's just a, a completely forgotten sector, you know, and, and you compare that to like, let's say like uranium, um, where you, you've had like basically a small cottage industry pop up. That's, that's like predicated on like being bullish, the uranium space. Um, with, you know, and, and I, I think the like the macro fundamentals are shaping up um, for the whole uranium story, and it's becoming quite bullish. But just the fact that there exist that many people have been who've been peddling the bullish narrative uh, for so long on uranium makes me think that that the bottoming process, which for the commodity sector is probably you know can can tend to be quite long, I, it makes me think that that's going to continue. Um, whereas in shipping. Still, nobody's talking about it. Um, you know, there's like literally just a handful of guys like uh, Harris, you know, Kupperman o- over at the Adventures of Capitalism blog. Um, you know him, and pff, I could I count the people on one hand who I know, like on the Twitter, financial journalism, who, who I've actually been talking about the whole shipping space. So, um, yeah, it's it's those few things for, like I said, supply. You look at Total Oil Book. <laughs> Uh, total deadweight tonnage the scrap rate um, and then demand is just you know global global trade um, and so you know you you kind of try to triangulate all that stuff and you get a sense of you know where you know how is the market offsides on this where are things likely to go versus what's priced in um, you know and so like maybe demand doesn't pick up that much because China you know doesn't Inject any liquidity, any credit into their system over the next year, and so growth remains really slow, which is which is possible, um, and so you don't see demand grow that much. But then you still have things like IMO 2020, where you have a lot of these, uh, you know, these companies are having to bring their ships in to put in the scrubbers and stuff, and that takes time, and so a lot of these shipyards now are backlogged um, with with ships, and that means you're taking supply off the market. So you know that's pretty bullish um but uh, then again just from like a value perspective you have a number of these stocks even after being up 50 60 70 percent they're still trading you know at like half net asset value right you know and they they have positive free cash flow so the risk is fairly low in owning these things and it's kind of like a free option on whether the shipping space actually recovers or not so that's 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 basically the uh, the
0: uh, what I look at for for shippers. So it's not a he's not going to be able to throw up a quick watch list and, and get an understanding. He's gonna he's gonna need to know the yeah. I, I the wish story. I wish
1: that existed. I mean, if he could find one, tell him. Let me know.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's it, yeah. It's it's those those few things and, and um you know there's a couple services where you can you know get the I mean you can find all that stuff for free like the order book. Yeah. Uh, scrap rate you know um, all that stuff so it's not it's not hard to find
0: yeah well that's the the, it's definitely the there's no no secret that this is a diamond in the rough type of scenario it's not a uh, or the sector is a diamond in the rough sort of trade it's not the crowdest most crowded trade in the world it's (laughs) the opposite of that and so there's definitely not going to be a whole lot of data and a whole lot of journalists and coverage on it that's you know, the, that old saying is, you know, I want everybody. What What is this saying? It's like, uh, I want everybody to understand this trade. I just want them to understand it after I'm in the trade. Right. Yeah, something, exactly. Something to that. <laughs> Fact. Yeah. I mean,
1: that, that that's the, the thing. It's, you know, one of the paradoxes of this game is that if like, if the reason to be in the trade is too apparent and too logical and, and the, the information is is too readily, readily available, then it's probably already priced in the markets and it's a bad trade, yeah. you know? And so like vice versa, where, you know, it's just something like shippers, like, you know, it's been in a bear market for, <laughs> for over a decade, right? So uh, people have just given up, um, but people have given up on the space, you know, people forgot about it. It's been, and, and it's like shipping is like notoriously, it, it's out of all of the, it's the worst performing industry uh, out of all out of all industries I mean it's just notorious for destroying capital so it's not something you want to buy and hold for 20 years um, it's a in an, an extra deep cyclical play so it's something you know you want to buy when it's totally forgotten when there's extremely deep value on offer uh, and right when the macro data is is just starting to turn before anybody else is talking about it and you know and then you hold it for you know, a couple of years and there's amazing leverage, like operating leverage in these plays. Um, a lot of gearing. so it's I mean, if you catch it at the right time and it's all about timing, then I mean you could it's one of those crazy spaces. It's like a it's kind of like the equity version of Bitcoin, right? I mean you can you can like 20 thirty x um, your your money in that in that space because they can get really crazy, especially if they if they really take off
0: that's the, that's the dream. Um, okay. Well, we did have a, we, we basically answered this next question talking about the fed, uh, you know, basically do you believe that we're going to go negative interest rates? The feds backed themselves into a corner. <sighs> <sighs> um, sorry. I just, uh, was giggling at the, uh, the thought of that. Um, you know, are things as fragile in the economy where they, uh, <laughs> does the Fed have any tools is the only tool they're going to have the 0% interest or negative interest rates. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think we answered it, but yeah, 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 yeah. Or um, yeah I,
1: I think we talked about that. Uh, like the Fed ex- explicitly said today that, um, they are not considering uh, or, or don't think they would ever uh, go to negative rates because I think that whole experiment has been, has been proven to be a, a bad one. And so that's, you know, the, the ECB is actually trying to get out of it, um, you know, like dragging through down the gauntlet to the to the core of Europe right. and saying, you know, it's basically like if you want to get out of negative rates, then you got to start spending money. Um, that's you know, the way out. And so, I mean, and that's what's going to happen because negative rates doesn't work. It actually... Um, tightens liquidity it destroys demand um, and so uh, I, I think we've globally we've learned our lesson from that I mean will, will rates fall to, to zero yeah possibly uh, that's definitely possible but also you see a lot of things like I mean just the whole discussion around fiscal spending and mmT right. and central banks basically monetizing deficits uh, there's a good chance that that we never even get there in the u.s that we you know this whole thing, as far as the the grand policy experiment um, evolves faster than the economy can deteriorate. So, you know, we we never end up with, with nominal uh, rates at zero here in the U.S. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, no, the Fed hasn't backed themselves into a corner. There's a lot of people, especially on Twitter and Finchwood is really popular to bash the, the Fed, um, you know, and there's, Sure, a lot of reasons to do so because you know they're they're uh, uh, like economists and economists are fun to bash, um, but they're actually fairly smart and pretty good at, at doing what they do. Is which is, I mean, they operate in a very narrow spectrum, right? They just have a dual mandate. So I mean, there's a lot of things that you can that are legitimate complaints about the Fed and, and their you know the secondary effects of their policy, but I mean that's their mandated policy. And so, you know, we should have a discussion around, like, you know, what the Fed's real purpose is. Like, I think it's kind of silly to uh, we have two percent inflation, you know, as this, you know, as st- stated goal. Because why? I mean, why why two percent inflation? That, that's never made sense to me. Um, and I don't I don't think it necessarily helps. Um, but anyways, uh, the Fed has backed themselves in a, in a corner. And I said, like, yeah, the, the money market actions, totally normal. The Fed is going to take care of all that stuff. Um, as far as the repo rates. And so that's not something to worry about.
0: Yep. Well, you, you're not going to get a, a boatload of Twitter followers answering questions like that, Alex. So. Ah, shit. Ooh. Now you're right. Hey, well, you know
1: what? It's, um, <laughs> uh, they, yeah, actually, XNA, everything I just said. Definitely <laughs> painted themselves in a corner. is an, an idiot. Um, I mean, this is, you know, I, I just overlaid a part of the, the S&P you know, from today on to this chart of 1987 and the correlation is almost perfect. So it's one to one. Buckle up. Yeah. 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 Well, in that
0: 1987, 19, we're in 2019. Ooh. Oh, shit, Chris. Yeah. We just figured that out together.
1: Wow. We should, <laughs> we should probably put that out in like a 50-page report.
0: <laughs> yes. All right, Uh, okay, next question. So our 42 kilometer cross country skier who asked the great question about your next crazy sports adventure, he would like, and I'll I'll just go ahead and read this one. Would you describe your macro lens mainly for the sake of cutting through the noise, which pillars should be focused on uh, for him? Uh, to try to build out his own framework, i.e., short-term business cycle, monetary policy, fiscal sentiment, etc. I know you have that's a fairly you, you have a fairly simple way to do. It. I mean, you you've, you explained it before, but I'll I'll leave it there. I'll let you run. Yeah, it. yeah,
1: that's that's um that's actually a good good question. That's something I've actually been thinking a lot about. Um, so man, I think I think macro can be an extremely dangerous game because it's it's very broad and it's so easy to kinda um get lost in the weeds. Uh so and and I've noticed this like and and I'm I'm guilty of it. I definitely you know and I see it in others um is that the the allure of macro to a lot of people is just the narrative. I mean humans were all wired um to to love stories and we, I mean that's how we kind of relate to each other and relate to the world and understand it and and then and you know it's also a part of you know status seeking and stuff like that to show off our our intelligence or to deceive um, uh, others of our intelligence and even of ourselves I, I think it was like Robert Trevor's was it trevers the uh, I think that's his name the evolutionary biologist but he wrote this great intro to uh, was it Richard Dawkins the selfish gene where he, he kind of talked about that that idea um so anyways like we love to tell stories and which is why i mean this whole um repo rate narrative is is kind of a perfect example of that is that people we're all talking about this repo rate thing and you have macro traders on twitter who are you know been talking about it for months and how important it is and then connecting it to the rising dollar and it makes them sound really smart um, but, and I could be wrong, but I just don't think that that has much impact at all on, on markets or even especially that they're trading, you know? So, um, like what's the, what's the point of it? Cause it's, it's real easy to, you know, that's a complex game. So the kind of the way I've been thinking about it, the whole macro game is that like roll, um, <laughs> like it's like we're, we're, we're sailors, like we're all, we're all sailors, like ancient sellers. And you know for us, and like the most important thing is the weather. right? Well, the weather's extreme, it's impossible. It's a complex system, right? So you can't predict it far out. You know you can kind of get a feel for how things are going to be you know the next day, you know, or two days out. Um, and really seasoned experienced sailors, especially in the past before technology, um they they developed like over literally centuries these these really effective heuristics you know of like kind of just getting like a gut feel and there are very like simple things you know if like you know dawn is red or something like that then there's great chance of of a of a storm um and and so it's just a a very simple way to like navigate you know and then they were just really good at at doing the technical work of sailing right they can manage you know their boat you know and and you know i'm not it's been a long time since i've since i've sailed so actually i don't know all the terminology but anyways (laughs) That's kind of the way I think about it. So it's like when I think about macro, um, I think first the most important part is to start with a really solid technical framework. Um, you know, and just like trade management, position sizing, uh, risk management, that's the most important part. And then on top of that is just learning to read the tape because like everything you need to know is in the tape. Uh, the, the market is smarter than you are. It's smarter than everybody collectively. Um, sometimes it gets stupid. You know, so then you got to, on top of knowing t- technicals, you got to get really good at, at reading sentiment, um, you know, playing the player, like, like that's like key. So you got to see where, you know, where the narrative's going, how people people are positioned, and then compare that to, to the tape. As far as news, you could totally, almost entirely cancel it out. I think the news is a total waste of time. Um, people would be much better off if they weren't exposed to any news flow. If you're going to read the news uh, like I do, then read it, you know, just skim the headlines and just to see what people are talking about. That's really, that's useful for like understanding how people are thinking, what the dominant narratives are, how people are positioned, right? And so, and you're using that in conjunction with the technicals to see how price is reacting. You know, if people are becoming like extremely bullish and the the narrative's dominant, but you see price going the other way, well then, then, you know, something's up, right? Because the market isn't confirming the dominant consensus. Um, and then on top of that, as far as like you know like the broader macro sphere is is developing, I would say models for each asset class. like if you're talking about like just generally, um, I think it's good to have and and simple keeping it simple is is important um, because there's so many data points that you you're just gonna it's going to lead to indecision or all these conflicting signals. And so you got to spend time and you got to find out, you know, what works for you and it all depends on your own time frame and your, your objectives and stuff like that. But if you're looking at the, the business cycle, you know, let's say in like the U S well then, you know, look at a number of things to measure like different parts of the economy, you know, maybe it's just a few indexes. Like, it's like the LEI, the, you know, conference board leading economic index, just to, you know, see if, if recession is actually likely, you know, like we've had, you know, people screaming about recession for the last two years. But if you look at the LEI, you know, it's recently made new all-time highs. Um, And that has, it's turned over and got negative uh, before every single recession, you know, over the last, you know, 75 years, ever since the indicator has been in existence, right? Um, And so, you know, you can look at that, you can look at, you know, just things like the labor market, um, you know, or you're looking at like the, stock of labor which is like the unemployment rate or even better if you want a faster indicator you look at the flow um we're just looking at the the jobs numbers um and and you and you look at that and so then you you know you get a sense of like how things are going then you you know you develop some things to understand where inflation are going some leading things for growth um and then that's really it and then you know you you look at gold and you know you have a couple indicators like macro indicators for that like you know real rates you know and then more stuff on like gold for sentiment and positioning and stuff like that um and then you just kind of put all that stuff together uh like understanding fiscal or monetary policy is is of course like important so paying attention to what the game masters are doing um you know the the, the people, the heads of the central banks, and stuff like that. But that's also, you know, that's a pretty slow moving thing. Um, and it, it's like with macro, there's, I think the great advantage of macro is like understanding a few key things about how the economy really works um, that differ from the mainstream beliefs about uh, how the economy works. You know, like a, a key one would be um, beliefs about QE's, um, Connection to inflation, right? You know, I mean, following 2009 and, you know, and then 10 11, when the Fed started mm-hmm. up QE1, um, people was like screaming, Oh, we're going to have hyperinflation, Weimar, Germany, you know, because central banks printing all this stuff. But I mean, that's obviously not what happened. Um, we, we had a, a false trend rally in gold. It wasn't even false trend because we had negative real rates. So everybody was focusing on inflation. And so they thought that's what was driving gold, but it's really the real rate of interest. Um, And then that narrative kind of created a blow off topping in in gold. Um, And then we, you know, we saw, we've seen the bear market play out for the last five years. Um, But so if if they would have understand like how actual QE works present day, um, that it's really just kind of a swap of, of like money for security and stuff like that, then it's, um, you know, it, it, then you know that the whole inf- inflation narrative is mute, and that you know, like, real hyperinflation, at least in like developed markets where we have like, you know, especially in the U.S., where we're the uh, world's reserve currency, it's really a demographics game. Um, you know, unless we do some like Frankenstein policy, where we literally just start doing helicopter drops of money, um, you're just not going to see it. So, I mean, that's what macro is, and, and then. You just, you know, learning that stuff over time—that's kind of like the best way to do it. It's really, I mean, it could it could be whatever you want. I think, I think, but I think, like I said at the beginning, like the danger of macro is the allure. What brings a lot of people into it is that they want to be smart, so they're playing the game of being smart um, because it usually attracts intelligent people, right? But that's extremely dangerous because you know you're—it's—it's egocentric you're probably gonna want to prove then how smart you are by talking all this high-minded stuff, you know, diving deep into the repo market and talking about why it's so dangerous because, you know, that makes you feel smart. But if you do that, you're not gonna be making money. So, like I said, it's, you know, trade management, um, which is something that, like, I'm personally working on a a bunch right now because that's my weakest part of my game. Um, Trade management, risk management, like position sizing, all that stuff is the core. And on top of that, learn to read the tape. Technicals um, is huge. You know, like learning to understand market breadth. Um, you know, the hierarchy of of assets and which ones tend to lead others. You know, which I've written about, um, and the and the relationships there. Um, that's that's huge. And you could just stop literally there. You know, and you would be fine. <laughs> so and then uh, the, and then throwing on sentiment is actually really good to so learn to read sentiment use different sentiment indicators combine all those two um, those are also reflected in like the prices and values of things um, and then you know and then just like the extra macro stuff is just icing on the cake um, but a lot of people um, just get they get swamped with that stuff and then they focus too much on that uh, on, on all these kind of esoteric macro data points to build these really complex narratives which, which could be true, but they also could just be total bullshit. And then that's the thing, because we're all trying to explain, you know, why this hurricane popped up, or why this weather weather event's happening, you know, why it's mildly cloudy today, when none of us can really prove it. We can't prove it. We don't know why. And so, like, if the narrative's smart enough sounding, then we're likely to fall prey to believing it's true. And then the, the danger is, is that the next time, you know, similar events happen we're gonna think that it's because well you know that's that this is what that narrative said last time so we're gonna think that's what it will do this time and then maybe it ends up being totally different because there's actually no connection you know there's no causation between what we thought was the real drivers and what's actually happening um and so uh that's it i mean if you follow like some really good like in in my mind some of the best straight macro players uh, like that are available on twitter people like um, Mark Dow, uh, like he's not looking, you know, developing these really complex narratives or anything like that. He's just playing behavioral macro, is he's, he's looking um, at positioning sentiment and then playing chart patterns. And then he's really good at position sizing and trade management. And that's it. Um, and the guy puts up just really killer returns, uh, managing a, a big book, um, you know, so I think that is the most important stuff, and if you do that, then you cut out so much of the noise. And you see that like 90% of of what everybody's jabbering on about on on the Twitter is total nonsense. Um, and and so I mean, oh, guys, just it's a better way to trade, and it's a better way to oh, it's a better way to live because it totally takes you out of that. Everybody's swimming in like the same current, so you get to get out of that current. He gets, you know, sit back and see where everybody else is swimming and then, you know, choose when and how you want to play and like by what rules. And so I think that's a much better way to do it. Um, I've been working on like a, for, for too long now, like a, a big write up kind of on all this stuff, because like I'm in this big process of transitioning, like my trading. Um, I've been working on like a, Chris and I were talked about this a while ago, not on the podcast, but um, I've been working on building a quant model. Just like a real basic quant model on, on managing like the core of the portfolio, um, and that's because I want something that's going to keep me in the big moves of the market, like in between stock and bonds, um, and so then I could focus on doing um, what I like to do, which is like deep research into, you know, uh, lower probability but high expected value like trades, deep value trades and stuff like that, um, and and so. Uh, that does a number of things. Is that it's going to keep me in the market, hopefully on the right side of the market for the most of the time. Um, so it's better than like a straight asset allocation mix. And then I don't, I'm not going to suffer from FOMO. Um, so when the market's making a move, I already have, posi- we already have a position on, right? Um, and so that you know does a number of things. It keeps me from making you know unforced errors. Um, and it also opens up mental space. Because then I don't need to always try to be managing my exposure to risk, right? Um, I can I can draw down my, you know, just go flat to, as, as far as like my my more, um, I guess you call it like my more alpha focused trades and just stick to that book. And then when I see a lot of, when I see an opportunity come along like a fat bitch, then I can jump in and do that. Um, and so, so then you have like two different styles. And then if you want to throw in a third style that I've been working with, there's like more of like a shorter term, you know, like real short term market timing style, you know, then you can have these different components, uh, working together. And, and so I, I think the, the closer you can get to a real system, um, is super important. And, and then that also helps, uh, helps you get away from focusing on all these really just dumb, meaningless narratives, um, that get peddled as like smart macro. Which like the whole space is is totally pervasive, um, with so that's my <laughs> that's my long winded answer to that. Hopefully that helps.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um, the the I'll kind of I'll kind of echo some of your points there. Uh, the macro generally attracts really smart people, and so getting into the market itself, like you've you've had to have been successful somewhere else in life because you've accumulated enough capital to be able to take that and risk it in the market. So <clears throat> whether, whether you've financially done that or not, or you just happen to have access to capital, but the swagger to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to take on this big machine because I'm a really smart person and I've proven to myself, or at least in my mind, I believe I'm a brilliant person. Uh, so you're, you're taking on that market just by doing it. And <clears throat> macro tends to draw people who are thinkers, right? They're, they're, they're Whether they're, you know, reactive to political things or they think they understand how the globe works, you know, the stuff we talked about with Saudi Arabia or whatever, you know, like you, you have all those sort of things. And they're super interesting and super entertaining to to focus on but if you don't have a framework then like there there needs to be an underlying framework and this, this is what you're getting at are we in a growth you know period if we are in a growth period where we're going to expect wage growth to increase and gdp to possibly increase and uh, earnings to you know stocks to outperform well what sort of environment do you want to be in there like you know do you want to be shorting uh, momentum? Probably not. You're probably going to want to, you know, in a, in a growing environment, you're probably going to want to get on those sort of things, you know, you, things that are going to grow. If you're in a tightening, you know, if they're, if they're raising interest rates or, you know, it, it's a very, if this, then that sort of macro is is so simple in that sense that you get caught up in, especially in macro when, you know, you bring all these smart people, they're not going to like, you know, people are not going to be like, okay, yeah, we're in a growth environment, so I'm, I'm going to be long. Like, people people are not interested in that narrative. People are interested in... So, and, you know, you take 200 pages to write up, we're in a growth environment, so I'm going to be long, and then that, like, really attracts people, and so they have a large number, a, a large audience, a large platform, a megaphone, a, you know, Twitter followers, email subscribers, whatever it is, and so that kind of... Forces people to think. Oh, I need to be super smart, so I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do repo rates, and I'm going to do all these other things. Yeah. And if if you don't have the basic, hey, we're in a growth, or we're in a, you know, we're in a tightening environment. If you if you can't figure out what to do in in either one of those cases, then everything else you're doing in macro is probably going to be you're chasing headlines probably more than anything, you know, like just understanding the you know, four basic market cycles. You, If you understand that, then you know what to do. And I always, you know, insist that being a systems trader and all those sort of things, it's just I want to know what regime we're in because I know what to do in that regime. And, you know, if I'm in Montana and it's January, I know what most likely is going to be my clothing for that day. I'm not going to be wearing shorts and a tank top going outside. It's just, you know, it's not that hard. I, you know, I just need to have a jacket and, you know, gloves right. and warm clothes yeah. you just show up. Yeah, well,
1: and and it's it's the same thing, you know, about macro. Macro, like big macro, like economic cycle, it's slow moving, Yeah. right? And so, I mean, you could literally look at like one or two macro indicators and be like, okay, does this thing signaling that we're, you know that there's a high probability of a recession in the next you know six to twelve months right you know if if yes then you know maybe i'm not buying the dip as aggressively you know on the next sell-off right um if not then you know maybe maybe i am putting more money to work yeah you know and and then it's like okay if you understand the basic dynamics of inflation and what drives you know cyclical inflation you know versus like secular inflation and you kind of see where the trends are going that then that's like it that's all you need to know right um, and I, I think like a lot of the stuff gets just propagated by uh, journalists journalists because i mean well and it's all like everybody we all suffer you know we we want to uh uh i mean what's that that term the the, the illusion of knowledge right because i mean when dealing with like complex environments stuff like that we all, we all instinctively want to pretend, even deceive ourselves into thinking that we know. Um, and then if you look at, you know, I mean, just studying, you know, talk about Stanley Druckenmiller I and mean, the guy's probably the greatest to ever play the game, you know, as far as the, the macro goes. Um, and if you if you listen to like the stuff that he says when he talks like these big macro narratives, like the guy his like macro knowledge base isn't actually that deep. Like, and he gets a lot of crap wrong. Like, he was, you know, arguing that, you know, QE was going to cause inflation and stuff like that. And you, you see him, like, come out, and, like, he'll say some crazy shit uh, that, like, even, like, you know, <clears throat> most, like, people are more knowledgeable about, like, financial plumbing and be like, no, that's just it's just definitely not true. That's totally wrong. But, I mean, still, he's the greatest. And it's not because of, of like, his, like, esoteric or complex, like, macro knowledge. He's the greatest because the guy is better than anybody at um, at but like tr- at trading and at, <laughs> literally just trading at, at position sizing um, reading sentiment you know and like knowing when to go for the jugular and like and, and cutting losses like so it's just trading like he's just a really good trader he's really good at reading sentiment and he's really good at managing trades and that's why he's the best and it was the same with with uh, Soros like Soros's like macro knowledge base was was better um, but even him it was just like the reason why he was so great is because he was like one of the best at strong opinions weekly held
0: yeah
1: right and so i mean that's why when you see these uh these guys you know it's it's so prominent on like twitter where they go on and they just um like they have this like rally cry around the certain really complex like you know i call it vision macro where it's this like complex narrative they're peddling and and they just, you know, just talk about it for, for months and months and months and months, and like even if the market's not going in their favor, and it's like, you know, why? Like, why are you even taking part in yeah. that? I mean, like we know why it's because they're, you know, they're suffering under the illusion of knowledge, um, and, they, and they're and they're signaling. They're it's a status signaling. They want people to think that they're smart, and they want to think they're smart themselves. Um, but again, it's like you're trying to predict what the weather's going to be like a month out. Yeah, I mean, good luck. So, right. you're it's just you have a um, calendar
0: right. for that. that that that's like your best predictive tool like hey it's winter yeah. time like i've i've right. got 90% of the work done here like you know we're in a growth phase 90% of the work's done so yeah, I, I, I don't need
1: to that's the perfect analogy you know it's all like seasons right you know what season it's going to be so you know generally you know i mean if a bear market you you know generally if you know if a recession then like what's going to happen you know, yeah. if we're in, uh, you know, a non-growth phase or a strong growth phase. It's like you're just reading the seasons. But then, like, outside of that, can you have, like, you know, crazy weather, like, hot weather during the winter? Of course you can. You know, can you have cold days in summer? Yeah. So it's sure. the same thing in the markets, you know? Yep. And uh, it's, it's just that. That's
0: it. Yeah, just because you have a cold day in the middle of July doesn't mean that you called the, the bottom and, and winter's here. Like, you, you still have a lot of really – good things and and I think probably what we're getting out there is if, if you if you can manage the big thing then the the real problem is not trying to call the exact turning point right that's yeah the, the calling the top calling the bottom getting it right being the f- person who's famous for calling the top you know in a market or the bottom or whatever like that that's that's um, <laughs> probably one of the least important parts of of trading but probably the most uh attempted
1: <laughs> yeah well and, and and most of those guys are just you know the the lucky monkey that that typed shakespeare right yeah. like that that's all it is and and so it's like you very rarely have those guys do well in the the um the next cycle right because they're still trying to play the same game i mean you look at i don't i don't typically like to name names but like kyle bass is a perfect example seems like a great nice guy but um uh, it's it's like he comes up with these grand narratives because, you know, he, he nailed the housing crisis and he made a ton of money and he raised a bunch of money, you know, after that on the back of that. And so and he's keep on playing that game because I think maybe he's a little deluded with his own ability to forecast. Um, but also, you know, maybe he's just he's not even playing the trading game. Maybe he's playing the, the asset uh, management game, which is has a lot more to do when you get at that scale, has a lot more to do with your ability um, to sell. You know than it does with your ability to actually trade and make money, right. um, and so you know I mean yeah that's <laughs> I
0: mean, that's that's what I think about that. <laughs> All right, so this thing about repo rates I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. I think uh, I think we covered everything there. You got uh, you got anything else? Um, so, we did not uh-oh. cover. I didn't. We didn't really. I mean you you briefly. Touched on Draghi laying the gauntlet down. I don't know if that needs any more coverage. Um,
1: um, yeah, I don't. I mean, it's not much more to say that he just, you know, he did this whole complex uh, dual tiering system, uh, which Eric Lohners had written a bunch about. And I've been sharing that over the last few months. Um, and so the the, the debate on, on the actual uh, um, on how much impact that will have, positive or negative, is is really split. Um, And so I don't know obviously I don't think anybody knows and we're just gonna have to see what it does for the actual economy But I think the most important thing as far as the immediate impact of of that his last uh, significant presser as ECB chief um, Was that you know, he just called out the the core, you know, Germany and and France and just saying hey, you know You guys if you guys don't like negative rates, you know, which they don't um, You guys need to do something about it and start spinning and so you're you're already seeing the the debate shift over the last few months in germany which is the key because of the real um uh, you know they're the ones who've been really reluctant to to spend and they run a big surplus um is that you know and now they're talking about running like a shadow budget and creating these things so they could basically get around their own rules that prevent them from spending and and you know do some fiscal spending and, and the dutch are uh, trying to put together in a big uh, it's not even that big but a 50 billion dollar investment plan but it's a start so i I think it's an important narrative to watch because if you look at like just as far as the the debt cycles go you know japan's ahead of everybody then you have europe and then you know us is right behind Mm -hmm. europe so you know europe tried negative rates they failed so which is why we're probably not going to try it here in the us but um maybe they're the first ones to really dive into uh well i mean they're the first ones to try um, dual rate tiering, uh, which is going to be interesting, and then see if they really start pumping the the spinning, spending, and loose, loosen up the uh, the purse strings.
0: Very good, very good. Any uh, political thoughts?
1: Um, no, man, I haven't been following U.S. politics that that closely, honestly. Um, Doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> I just like, uh, I, I'm I'm a little bummed that the DNC kneecapped Tulsi Gabbard. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. But um I actually liked her. I, I don't know I I, 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 have, I haven't been following that much, but from the little I, I've heard her talk, um she seems she reasonable. Like, like yeah she 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 uh and which, which is why I think they basically axed her is because what she went after Kamala Harris, right? Yeah. Um I didn't I didn't see that but I heard about it. Um and the DNC is just such a corrupt party. I mean they both are but anyways yeah so it looks like um I think the, the betting markets have Warren as the favorite,
0: right? Uh, depends on which one, I guess. Uh, I, I think somebody had Biden. I think the Biden's up there at the.
1: Yeah, I think no Warren way, no way. Yeah, I think, uh, I think no way, Biden. Um, I think Warren. I, I'm not a huge fan of her, um, but I think she has a has a chance um, because it seems like her, you know, she's got her populist messaging down pat and so it seems like she's uh She's even able to st- stir up some excitement across party lines, which is yeah. I would have never thought um, You know, so no, but I mean it's it's nice. It's nice to see a fellow Native American doing so well I mean me being two percent Native American Apache myself wow. um, It's uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I, I cannot claim such status
1: Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it's part of uh, my, part of my heritage. Thank so I, uh, I I never knew I could have claimed that, you know, when I went to school or for preferential treatment. It's nice to know. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you should be in Congress, obviously. No, I should be. Yeah, you don't even need a law degree. You just do it. I mean, that sounds <laughs> do perfect. It. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I think um, I, it, still it's. Uh, You know, I I don't have any affiliation with any. I think it's uh, the incumbents to lose. Uh, And it's uh, a lot of people are really starting to like, you know, there's a lot of people that started to flip. There's a lot of people that flip the other way, too. But it seems like a lot more people are starting to be like, you know, I kind of like this economy we're in. I kind of like this, you know, higher high wages. I kind of like this sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I I think it all depends on on who the DNC ends up putting up, um, and then and then just yeah, well, I mean we'll have to see where the economy is next year, because I yeah I think I mean if the market stays stays strong and the economy stays strong, then I mean yeah I mean just historically he's he's gonna it's gonna be a really tough time taking him down even with how much you know supposed hatred there is uh, yeah. towards the guy, yeah, so. You know, especially especially if we see him start, uh, you know, in some trade deals, even if he makes major concessions, um, you know, and he makes some deals with Iran, pulls out of Afghanistan, uh, you know, which is obviously he's working to do. It seems like all those things right now. So if, if those start happening over the next six months, then it's going to be it's going to be a tough one.
0: You have a Dow 30,000. You have a deal with Iran. Yeah. Um unemployment non-existent yeah I think uh, that's a that's a tough one to beat and yeah he's, he's put a yep. stress test he's stress test with the uh, with China uh, you know the basically tweeting and you know kind of firsthand reporting what's going on with China and, and all his negotiation to the market he stress tests the weekends in the market and yeah he, I, I mean that's what I think I don't know if he's planning on it or not but I think it's been tested. People have, you know, they have attempted to go down and slam the market a number of times, and it's just not, yeah, it, it, uh, it just gets bought. So I think, um, yeah, if, if what we're talking about here, I think that's probably the uh, situation, unless we have an outlier somewhere. So, cool. I think, uh, yeah, I think we've drugged this on um, far longer than we should have. And I do not apologize. Like usual, nope. Yeah, no, no apologies here. It's just our modus operandi. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything, uh, anything else to drag on. Um, We got, uh, we got the call for, for almost Dow 30,000 from my end. 3,300 on the spoos. I think. uh, Oh yeah. I think, uh, I think that's about it. Yeah.
1: Go to to Alex
0: for all your repo rate questions. Please Uh, don't. (laughs) At Macro Ops on Twitter. (laughs) Alex at Macro-Ops.com with all your repo rate questions. Damn you, Uh, Chris. Get him him to come out and, and say dollar bearish because if you're long... (laughs) <laughs> the euro it really works yeah, no,
1: notice no, notice how quiet I've been on the forex market lately especially the dog
0: <laughs> do what I can to try to drag it out of you it's just, it's just fun um, you can get me Chris, at Christy Macro on twitter and Chris at macro-ops.com any other questions hit us up, hit us on twitter it's probably the best place to do it and I think that's it Cool. That's
1: all I got. Good chat.